You may have noticed as we went through this section of scripture, the powerful phrase, it is written, it is written. Jesus in his humanity is tempted by sin, tempted by Satan, yet he never sinned. And how he overcomes temptation is relying upon the written word of God. It is written. He could have depended upon his deity, could have trusted in that, but he chose to give us an example for us to follow. Thankfully, Jesus did not quote the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalms 119, 119. Instead, he quotes small sections of scripture. From Deuteronomy 6 to Deuteronomy 8 is where he quotes uh, from in this temptation that Satan is throwing at him to give us an example so that when we're tempted, we can rely upon God's word as well. But also, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that we have a faithful and merciful high priest who can sympathize with our weakness because he also was, was tempted. So he understands temptation, but yet without sin, so that when we're tempted, we can go right to Jesus to ask for strength. Satan has just a few playing cards, but he plays them well. When he tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, he used the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride of life. He uses that same temptation with Christ, but Jesus, unlike Eve, was able to overcome the temptation. In verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. If you remember, Christ is just baptized. An amazing moment where he has the affirmation of the Father. The Father speaks audibly from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove. He's 30 years old. He's beginning his public ministry. And the first thing that happens is the Spirit of God leads him to the wilderness. Leads him to the wilderness. And he's filled with God's Spirit. Jesus gives us an example of what the human experience is like through the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he's relying on God's Spirit as he's in the wilderness and overcoming a temptation. Why would the Spirit lead him to the wilderness? It's specific that the Holy Spirit is leading him there. I suggest to you because it's in the wilderness that we see the glory of Christ in a greater way. Think about it this way. You can go to a bike shop and, and check out a mountain bike. And a nice mountain bike is super expensive. You could probably get a used car for less than a brand new mountain bike. And you're like, why in the world would anybody ever spend this kind of money on a mountain bike? But then if you took that same bike up into the mountains, maybe with a professional rider on it, you get this understanding of, okay, I see the glory of this, this mountain bike. I think it's a crying shame that there's so many Jeeps in Colorado that never make it off the pavement. You know what I'm saying? It's like, if you really want to know the glory of a Jeep, you got you to get it off the pavement. And we see Jesus in a greater way as he's out in the wilderness being tempted, but yet he is without sin. God led the children of Israel to the wilderness when they were delivered from bondage before they entered into the promised land, there was 40 years in the wilderness. Not a coincidence that Jesus is 40 days in the wilderness. Spending a, a very limited amount of time in Israel, you get an appreciation for what 
this area of the world is like when it comes to wilderness. It's hot, it's barren, it's nothing like being up in, in the Rocky Mountains. And God spoke to the children of Israel of why they went to the wilderness in Deuteronomy 8 verse 2. It says, And you shall remember the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. So God was going to reveal to the nation of Israel what was in their heart by them going through the wilderness. And we saw a lot of grumbling. We saw a lot of complaining. We saw a lot of unbelief. Jesus goes to the wilderness and we see his perfection. It would be nice if it was just the nation of Israel and Jesus who were led to the wilderness. But there'll be times when God leads us to the wilderness as well. We'll go through difficult times in life it does humble us, and it does reveal what's in our hearts. And I didn't realize that that was in there until I went through that challenge and I went through that difficulty. Verse 2, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. So it's 40 days, not eating, being led by the Spirit to fast uh, during this time, and Satan comes and tempts him. Satan is an opportunist. He's going to come when he has the greatest advantage to bring temptation. You may or may not realize this, but if you are a believer, if you are the child of God, you've trusted Christ for salvation, you have entered into this spiritual battle. You've entered into this spiritual war. Ephesians chapter 6 uh, describes it, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. There is a real enemy, and the, Satan wants to come against us, and Satan wants to come against Christ here to try to get Christ to compromise and to commit sin. Jesus is alone. He's tired. He's hungry. He's physically weak, and this is when Satan comes to him. Think of the timing of this. You've got the glory of the baptism, the glory of the Father speaking, the glory of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then right on the back side of it, you've got the wilderness experience. You've got the, the temptation. And that seems to be how life goes, doesn't it? Have this amazing experience. And then right after that experience is a difficulty, a, a time of isolation, and even a time when the enemy will come against you. So we want to be wise. When you're alone, expect that there's going to be more temptation. The enemy's going to come against us. Our flesh is going to, to rear up. If, if you're married and your, your spouse is out of town, you can anticipate there's going to be more temptation. If you're, you're traveling on business and you're, you're out alone uh, traveling, there, there's going to be more temptation. There's going to be temptation at 2 in the morning when your family's asleep and you're online. Probably a good time to get on, offline. Probably not the wisest choices at two in the morning when you're surfing the internet. That the enemy's going to come. I think that we saw this during the COVID pandemic. A isolation's not from the Lord, right? So God's at work and God's moving in the times that we're living in, but also Satan is attacking and wanting to get the best of people as they're in isolation. Verse 3 and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. This first temptation is the lust of the flesh. When Eve was tempted, she saw the forbidden fruit and it was good for food. It was good for 
her flesh, in her perspective. And here, Satan's saying, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Notice that Satan loves to bring doubt. He wanted Eve to doubt the word of God. Has God really said? And, and here, he's wanting to bring doubt to Jesus. If you're the Son of God, then why do you have this unmet, unmet need in your life? If your father really loves you, then why did he lead you out here into the wilderness where now you're, you're starving to death? So really questioning the goodness of the father and his relationship with the father. And Satan wants to come and plant those doubts in, in our hearts and our minds and go, if God really loves you, then why do you have this unmet met need in your life? Then the next temptation is to try to fulfill that need apart from God's will and apart from God's provision. That's the temptation here for Jesus is to go ahead and fulfill a true need that he has for food, but to do it apart from God's will, apart from the Father's will. So how might this, this look? You, know, you might be in a place where, where you're single and you're going, well, God created me as a, a sexual creature and I have this capacity for sexual intimacy and there's this, this need in my life. And so I'm just gonna go ahead and fulfill it apart from God's plan, apart from God's time and apart from his, his will and choose to engage in sex outside of marriage, which the Bible describes as sin, right? Husbands and wives, see, God wants you to be faithful inside of your marriages, for us to be faithful inside of our marriages. And in a moment of temptation, you might go, I'm gonna to try to fulfill this need outside of God's plan or, or God's design. Things are getting difficult uh, financially. Prices just keep going up and up and salaries aren't keeping up and inflation and interest rates and gas and all of those things. And, and if we're not careful, we could be tempted to say, there's this real financial need in my life I'm going to try to fulfill it outside of God's plan by doing something that's dishonest. You know, I'm going to go ahead and cheat my, my workplace or no one's ever going to see if I, I do this or comes to taxes time. If, if I just don't report this over here and I change this over here, I'm not going to have to pay as much taxes and I'm not really liking how the government's using the taxes. And all of a sudden, we're trying to fulfill a need outside of God's will and his provision. And the other alternative is what? To say, Lord, okay, there's this need in my life, but I trust that you're a good father. I lift it up to you and I ask that you would provide for this need and I'm not gonna compromise my integrity. I'm not gonna sin against you in the midst of this. In verse four, but Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It is written. Jesus holds on to the written word, and he quotes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. As Jesus is in the wilderness, he's meditating upon Israel's season in the wilderness. And God's word is in his heart. Sometimes for God's word to be in our hand is too far away. We need God's word in our heart. Psalms 119 says, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. In Ephesians chapter 6, where we do see the armor of God to fight in this spiritual battle, we only have one offensive weapon, and it's the sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. 
It's using the word of God for a specific temptation, just like Jesus did. Most of us are probably aware of the two or three areas that we tend to get tempted in the most, and it's different for all of us. Could be bitterness, could be covetousness, could be anger, could be lust, but we kind of tend to know this is where the enemy gets the best of me. You know what would be wise for us is to memorize two or three verses in regards to that temptation. So when we find ourselves tempted by the enemy and that's gonna happen, and we're alone, instead of engaging in that sin, to cry out to Jesus and to hold on to the word, and the word of God is powerful. Satan hates the word of God. Our sinful flesh will submit to the word of God if we'll get it out and use it. We live in an amazing time with a lot of amazing tools. One of my favorite uh, websites is BibleGateway.com. So if you can picture a gateway, BibleGateway.com. Because you can type in the word lust. You can type in the word, word anger or Holy Spirit. And you'll find every verse in the Bible in a few seconds. That can be a little bit overwhelming. But then you can limit down your search and say, I, I want to just look at the verses on anger in the New Testament. Or just in the book of Romans. And pretty quickly, God will help you identify just two or three verses. And say, I'm going to write this down on a three by five card. I'm going to trust in the word of God. Put, put that three by five card on your dashboard. There's a traffic light coming out of our neighborhood that's forever. You know, I just see my life flashing before my eyes as I sit at that traffic light. Well, I could use that time to, to look at that three by five card. Take a post-it note and put, put a verse on, on the mirror. Anybody have an electric toothbrush? It has the two minutes. That also is the longest two minutes of my day. Amber, my wife, she's like so diligent for the whole two minutes. I'm like, 30 seconds. I'm done with this. This is over, right? So I could use that time to, to get God's word in my heart and in my mind. But Jesus says it is written, man doesn't live by bread and alone. Food is not my marching order. This lust of the flesh, these needs of the flesh, that's not what drives me. What drives me is every word of God. The word of God is what really sustains me and really satisfies my soul. Verse five, then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. The second temptation is the lust of the eyes. Specifically, Satan takes him to this high mountain and says, look at what you can see. In this moment of time, you can see all the kingdoms of the world. And if you'll simply worship me, then I will give you these, these kingdoms. And Satan's always after our worship. He longs for the worship that only belongs to the Father. There's several titles that are given to Satan in the New Testament. In Ephesians 2, verse 2, it's the prince of the power of the air. Jesus calls a Satan in John 14, verse 30, the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age. 
Satan has a, a level of authority here on this earth because of Adam and Eve's sin, but obviously it's not greater than God's authority. God is the, the ultimate authority. And don't misunderstand, Jesus will return and conquer the enemy, conquer Satan. The victory's already been won at the cross and the resurrection of Christ. The revelation, we see Jesus cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. But in this moment, the temptation is, if you'll just worship me, then I will give you what you long for, the, the kingdoms of, of the world, what you can see right now, that instant gratification, the lust of the eyes. How does Jesus respond? Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Deuteronomy 6.3, and we see this authority of Jesus over Satan. Just get behind me, Satan, for you shall worship the Lord God and him only you shall serve. Sometimes you'll hear believers taking it upon themselves to rebuke Satan. And actually in Jude, we see the angel saying, I don't speak to Satan, but I ask the Lord to rebuke Satan. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to start having conversations with Satan. And I don't have any authority to be able to rebuke Satan, but I can call upon Jesus and ask that Jesus would, would rebuke uh, Satan. Jesus has that position and his authority. And Jesus says from Deuteronomy 6 verse 13, again, relying upon the word of God, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. So if Satan's after our worship, where have we been giving our worship? I think the song that Cameron sang really fit with this, coming back to the heart of worship. God longs for more than a song, doesn't he? He wants us to give him our hearts and our lives and be a living sacrifice, give our love unto the Lord. And it can be easy over time to get distracted and start to worship other things and not be in that place where, where God has his proper place in our lives. One of the things that's interesting to me is just how much information our phones give us about our worship. If you want to look at where my worship was this week, look at my screen time. That screen time really reveals what, what I'm looking for, what, what I'm worshiping, what I'm, what I'm longing for. And is there an importance of fellowship with God? Is there an importance in, in God's word? You know, things like, wow, there was a lot of time on Craigslist this week, you know, looking at mountain bikes and road bikes and, man, Fox News, you know. Well, the Bible app, there wasn't a lot of time on the Bible app. And it starts to reveal, okay, what's going on in my heart and my life? What am I looking for in this, this stupid screen, right? Isn't it crazy, the world that we live in? Like, if you're waiting to get a haircut, the barbershop or the salon, what did you used to do? Sit there. Maybe look around. Maybe think. Maybe pray. But what do we do now? It's like we get out our phones and we're staring into to the screen and it can be completely overwhelming, right? So, so where's my worship? Satan's trying to get my worship off of Jesus Christ and God's created us to be worshipers and we find our fullest satisfaction in worshiping the Lord. 
So this is really the heart of the issue, is to worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem to set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Again, this, this doubt. Hey, you really need to prove yourself that you are God's son. If you're God's son, then just jump off the, the pinnacle of the temple. In verse 10, for it is written, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan uses the it is written as well. Jesus is coming at Satan with the word of God. So Satan's like, okay, I'm going to quote scripture too. Satan knows scripture as well. And he quotes Psalms 91 saying, the angels shall keep you. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Here you have this promise that you can jump off of the temple and the angels will catch you. Well, it's interesting if you go back and read Psalms 91, Satan leads something out that's very important. Shall keep you in all your ways. That's left out in verse 10, just to, to keep you. And I think this is important for us to understand is Satan will try to use the word of God against us. So just because there's a Bible verse doesn't mean that we have the right meaning from that Bible verse. Are you with me? It's really easy, unfortunately, to take a particular verse, use it out of context, and get a message that doesn't line up with who God is and his will for our lives. I've talked with a lot of people over the years that have come up with something that's completely sinful for their lives, and they've used the scripture to justify it. It's like, wait a second, let's go back and look at that scripture. Or they've assumed that the Bible is saying something that it doesn't. How many times have you heard someone say, God wants me to be happy? That's not in the Bible. I can't find that in the Bible, right? It does say that God loves us, but we're assuming because he loves us that that means that he wants us to be happy. It does tell us that God wants us to be holy, right? How many times as a parent are we trying to make the best decisions for them and it doesn't necessarily involve their happiness? It's like, right now I'm not most concerned about your happiness. I'm more concerned about your well-being. But it's so easy for us to just go ahead and say, well, God wants me to be be happy. So I'm just going to go into this sinful decision because that's what the Lord really wants for, for my life. So how do we overcome this? It's so important for us to be in God's word for ourselves. One of the things that I I think the enemy loves to trick us with is this idea that we can't understand the scriptures, that we can't understand uh, the Bible. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you as a believer. He's your helper and he's your teacher. And when we think about the spiritual battle, there's a battle for our worship and there's also a battle to spend time in God's word. Because the enemy knows how powerful it is for us to spend time in God's word. Try it out. Say, I'm gonna spend 10, 15 minutes in God's word every day and you'll find that there's a spiritual battle for those 10 or 15 minutes. There's never a spiritual battle for me to spend 10 or 15 minutes on ESPN.com, right? 
Because the enemy's like, go for it. Now, is there anything wrong with enjoying sports? No. But the priority of God's word to say, I'm going to make sure that I have time in God's word. There was a group in the book of Acts, they were referred to as Bereans, that's the city that they were from, and they would hear the apostle Paul teach, and every time he taught, they would search the scriptures to see if it was true. And that's where we need to be. Just because it's a Christian author, just because it's a pastor, or it's on a podcast, we got to make sure that it's in the word of God. Read books of the Bible in context. Ask yourself this question, is it in the life of Jesus, does it line up with who we know Jesus to be? Is it in the book of Acts? Did they practice it in the book of Acts? Is it in the epistles? What's so dangerous about false religions and cults is they have a lot of truth in there. When you look at what Jesus had thrown at him from Psalms 91, there's a lot of truth in Psalms 91, but there's also some air of what Satan left out. If you've got 90% truth and 10% error, that's pretty deceptive, isn't it? But that 10% error is really going to lead you off track over time. So it's important to know God's word for ourselves. In verse 12, And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. What's the difference between tempting God and trusting God. Well, trusting God is driving on I-25 up to Denver, driving the speed limit. 75, maybe even 70, right? Tempting God is driving up to Denver, driving 95, right? This idea, well, well God's going to protect me, so I'm going to go 95 down, down the freeway. And that's Jesus's point here, is the promise is God's going to keep you in all of your ways, but you're not supposed to tempt God. You know, you're not supposed to put God to this, the test of, of saying, well, I'm going to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. I'm going to drive my car 100 miles an hour and just trust that the, the Lord is going to keep me safe. Verse 13, now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Two things here is the enemy did depart. We have a promise from James, if we submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from us. The Bible calls us to flee from sexual immorality, run for your life when it comes to sexual temptation, but you know when it comes to this spiritual battle with Satan, we're supposed to stand our ground. We're supposed to resist. With the armor of God, there's no protection for your backside because we're to face the battle. We're to resist the enemy and he will flee from us. So those times when the enemy's coming at us with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the, the, the pride of life, this last temptation that was given to Christ, if you're the son of God, if you want to prove to others who you really are, what people think about you, this, this pride of life, when we're attacked in those ways, we want to resist the enemy. We want to resist our, our sinful flesh. Draw near to Christ. Hold on to the word of God. And the enemy will flee from us. It's difficult in those times when we feel like, man, I'm resisting and the enemy's not fleeing. Just keep drawing near to God. Keep submitting to God. Resist the enemy. And he is going to flee. 
Satan did depart. But also notice that Satan's going to come back at an opportune time. And this is part of the spiritual battle that I think is difficult, that gets the best of us a lot of times, is say we have victory through the power of the Spirit, through Christ's help in an area of temptation, then we start to feel like, oh, I'm through that. I'm never going to struggle in that, that area again. And there's this peace time that comes. Satan kind of leaves us alone for a while. Maybe pride comes in a little bit. We let our guard down. And then Satan's looking for an opportune time and going, oh, now they think they've got it. And we're warned if we think we stand to take heed lest we fall, and we're, then that temptation is, is brought to us again. So in peace times, we want to stay humble. We want to realize we're still in the battle, stay close to the Lord, and not get to this place of, of overconfidence. In verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went throughout all the surrounding regions. So Satan's trying to destroy Jesus, but Jesus just comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. So his earthly public ministry really starts in the wilderness, comes out of the wilderness with the power of the Spirit, goes into Galilee, and news begins to spread. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. They never heard anyone teach like this. And news really starts to travel about Christ. Church, this section of scripture is so important. And it's, it's so applicable. You may or may not have, have realized that you're in this, this spiritual battle. And in these times of temptation, two applications. I want to leave us with two applications this morning. And the first is run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. You may be familiar with this promise, but just hear it. Just take it in for a minute. It's Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus fully understands the temptation that we're going through. Someone next to you may not understand the temptation that you're going through, but Jesus understands it. Isn't this amazing that God loves us this much? That God would come in human flesh and in his humanity, he would understand temptation. You know, he understands when we get cut off in traffic and we just want to take out that knucklehead, right? He, he understands. He was tempted in all ways like, like we are. He understands that temptation to just overeat. Like, oh, it's just so good. I'm going to have another falafel, right? He knows. He was in this human flesh. He, he understands. He understands the temptation of bitterness and the temptation of, of lust, all of it, pride and, and arrogance, but yet he's without sin. And then hear these words that are given to us. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What's the need in context of Hebrews chapter four? The need is that we're being tempted with sin. 
We get to come to the very presence of God. We get to come to this faithful and merciful high priest that understands what it is to be tempted yet without sin and cry out, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. We also have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you empower me? And the Holy Spirit's going to start to lead and convict and give direction. Put things on our hearts like, shut your mouth. Okay, got it. Get offline, right? Ask for forgiveness. Spend some time in prayer. You need to pray over your family. Your family's in the midst of, of this battle. So we get to run to Jesus. We get to run to the, the presence of God. Where is it that you're being tempted this morning? Run to the presence of God and the promise is you find grace and help in time of need and then re rely upon the written word. Rely upon the written word. It is written. Find those promises. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe you have a go-to verse in those moments of temptation, but it's been a while since you've used it. Recommit to saying, I'm, I'm going to meditate upon that verse. I'm going to memorize that verse. I'm going to get it into my heart. And follow this example of Christ is, is say it out loud. It is written. And quote the verse that God has put on your heart. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. For the wrath of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Okay, in the midst of my struggle with anger, I'm going to use God's word. I'm going to hold on to the power of God's word and see what the Lord would do. Church, it's time to fight. I don't know if you've realized that. And there, there might be a, a part of us that goes, I don't want to engage in this spiritual battle. There's a part of me that says, I, I don't want to engage in this spiritual battle because maybe Satan will turn up the heat. Well, we're already in it, right? And that's really, really not a, an option uh, for us. And to learn, to allow the Lord to teach us how to be able to engage in this spiritual battle. But the truth of scripture and the new covenant of what God has done for us is the power of sin has been broken in our lives and the penalty of sin has been broken. So we don't have to continue in these cycles of sin. And I'm thankful that God didn't make it complicated. It's not complicated, but it is difficult. And in those moments of temptation to be able to say, I'm running to Jesus. Jesus, I'm, I'm running to you and I'm holding on to the word of God. I'm gonna use God's word and I'm gonna say it out loud. But this is what's interesting and we can pray for one another in this is I can't fight the battle for you. You can't fight the battle for me. We can support each other and we can pray for each other. But when it comes down to temptation with sin, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose sin, or I'm going to choose to run to Christ and rely upon, upon his word. No, nobody else can do it for you. Nobody else can go find those verses and put them in your heart, right? That's something that we've got to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. Help me find the verses and put them into my heart and rely upon your truth. 
And as I mentioned earlier, it is crazy times that we're living in, and this is what I'm perceiving, is God's really moving. And it's exciting to see God move. And in the darkness, the light is shining all the brighter. But we also know that Satan, being an opportunist, is trying to take advantage of these times that that we're living in. So there's so much that's happened just in the last two and a half years. And go, okay, well, Satan's not taking a break. God's on the move, but Satan's attacking. So, man, this is a wise time to engage in that battle. If you feel like you're in the midst of that spiritual battle this morning, as, as we end in worship, you're going to have a prayer team available here in the front. And we'd love to pray with you. I know it takes some humility, but come and just ask for prayer. You can pray together. You know, you're sitting next to someone and you know, I'll be really surprised if you turn to them and say, hey, can we pray together before we leave? And they go, no, we can't. You know, we can't pray together. I'm sure they would love to, to pray with you. Maybe you text a friend. You, you sit for a few minutes at the end of service and you text that close friend and say, hey, would you, would you pray for me? There's really power in prayer. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, the biggest battle is to realize who Jesus is. And Satan doesn't want you to know who Jesus is. But Jesus does. And you're here this morning and hear the words of Christ that Satan comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. But Jesus came to give life and to give it more abundantly. And Jesus died for our sins and rose again to all those who repent and believe that they're saved, that they become the child of God. And as we worship, come and trust Christ as your Savior. Heaven and hell is determined by what you do with Christ all of of your eternity. And the Lord wants you to know him. He wants you to be brought out of darkness into light, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So trust him as your savior. But be encouraged, church, be encouraged. You have a faithful and merciful high priest that knows exactly what it's like to be tempted, yet without sin. And he's here with open arms, waiting for us to come to him to find that grace and mercy and help in time of need. Let's stand together and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are our faithful and merciful high priest. And so many times we we give in to temptation, but we desire victory. So would you give us a love for your word? Lord, would you give us an ability to understand it? a heart to to memorize short sections of scripture and use those sections in time of temptation. But also, Jesus, we run to you this morning, to your throne room of grace, and we ask for grace and mercy. Lord, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would would you lead us? An area of our lives that we've maybe felt that we could never have victory, Lord, would you begin to change us and transform us for your glory? And we do believe that you're doing a great work in these times that we're living in. We trust you and we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen.